Blog Talk Radio. Let us see what part the, the, the much tormented 
procedure first try to get at the root and underlying causes, taking broad as, and uh, as scientific a view of the subject as we can. You find that male and female are really the positive and negative aspects in nature. That is to say that male is the positive or electrical quality, and female is the magnetic, receptive, and negative quality. When the two fuse, creation, act, uh, creation action occurs. The word negative is here used in its electrical application and means that which does not act but holds power. It uh, does not represent futility or weakness, but reserves uh, reserved force. The whole of the universe is built upon the fusion of male and female, from the greatest plant, uh, planet to the tiniest chemical uh, cell. The same process goes on. It is really as if the world were an electric um, pole um, containing vast numbers of other electric poles of all sizes down to the most minute. Let us consider this uh, question of um, electricity for a moment. Quite simply, you have a current of electricity passing down a pole or a straight line. The pole is the positive or electrical side, and the other side is the negative or magnetic side. The magnetic side draws to itself, absorbs, and retains power. When it contracts, uh, rather contacts the positive, the action or electrical side of the pole it gives off this power, combustion occurs, a spark is lit, and force is generated. It is exactly this process which causes a planet to rotate, a moves a car, creates a child, or makes a plant grow. Fascinating, eh? But um, for those of you who might have just joined me, uh, I'm discussing our book tonight again, uh, you know, the uh, finding of the third eye. But... Um, and uh, chapter 4, which is called the male and female. And um, positive electrical male side of nature is represented by the acids, and the passive female magnetic side of nature is represented by alkalis. Um, before a planet or a car moves, the right constituents of acid and alkali must be assembled to create the little explosions of electrical life force which bring action about. It is also this identical driving force that motivates our bodies. The tiniest cell in our bodies is an electric battery in a state of combustion, just as our body is also electrically polarized. The acid of our bodies is the action part, the muscles, the alkali part of us is the blood, which holds and carries the power to those muscles. When in a state of health, the two are rightly balanced, but at death, the power which holds them apart, the pole, is withdrawn, and the acid floods the alkaline body, uh, causing the whole mechanism to become static. In chemistry, you must take an alkali element and combine it with an acid element if you want to create a compound which is strong and useful. If you want to make a bomb, 
which is only condensing the production of force into a small space, you must also bring together an acid and an alkali when they are allowed to meet the bomb explodes. The same thing happens when a well-matched man and woman meet attraction lead, leads to combination and then action. Uh, it must not be inferred, however, that a man is all electrical and a woman all magnetic. On the contrary, these two qualities run in juxtaposition through every cell and atom, but all existing things are preeminently of one sex, although containing both interiorly in various degrees. The planet Mars, for instance, is preeminently masculine, but of course it's held in manifestation by its pole, the positive and negative. Our Earth has its pole running through it, called north and south, at two ends. And of course, one side of the Earth is electrical and the other is magnetic. So also a man and a woman, though preeminently male electric and female magnetic, have each what we might call their poles running through them. The right uh, side of our bodies is electric and the left side magnetic, and right side of action and left the female or heart side. The subdivision of these two continues to infinity in our bodies until each tiny cell has its pole, and every and even each atom, as we know, is revolving round its pole or axis. Thus, throughout the whole of life, our greatest uh, to the tiniest, we have the same process going on. The female magnetic power attracts the male energy, electric force, and creation and action takes place. Now, as this process runs through everything, we may expect to find an expression of it in our own brain, and we do. The human brain has a shape curiously like the human embryo, and it contains a part which is male and part which is female. When these two parts are coordinated by mental training and con concentration and made to cooperate, the most wonderful development takes place and the mind becomes inspired, forceful, and creative. This, is, this was well known to the very ancient peoples. In their own remarkable way, they worship the means by which a human being can contact God within his own brain. They worship those symbols of the male-female power in the head. Succeeding generations, in their ignorance, debased this worship into a phallic worship of sex in its uh, physical sense. Uh, our, our ideas about the things that matter have grown smaller and smaller down the, the centuries until at present they are almost non-existent. We can now begin to glimpse the truths lying behind the worship in many ancient civilizations of the great trinities of life. The Christians adopted them and gave us God, the life force, the virgin or mother, the wisdom of or stored power, and the sun. The result of that blending the one who acts and achieves. In most ancient religions we can trace an appreciation of this trinity. The alchemists expressed the triangle in their own way, as mercury, sulfur, and salt. Our, our cell salt um, being that which builds and acts within our own bodies. Then there is also our sun, the male electrical positive force whose rays strike the magnetic female moon. The combination of both rays 
Reaching the earth causes fertilization, movement, and growth. For a long time we have been accustomed, in our little limited way, to think of sex only in the primitive terms of our power of physical procreation, not as the vast process or on which the whole universe is built, infinitely uh, petty and restricting taboos have shamefacedly locked up the entire question in a secret box in our minds. We muddled along in complete ignorance, oblivious that this box contains our greatest jewels. Let us not take out these jewels of ours and study them their value. We are confronted throughout history with certain symbols. Uh, one of them is the serpent, which has always been in evidence whenever the ancient temples devoted to wisdom flourished. Since the old story of Adam and Eve, the serpent has represented two things, knowledge and sex, thus uh, hinting at a close connection between them. And the secret is that the creative force within us is one single force, whether it is used for physical or mental ends. We have the choice as to which way we still uh, we shall direct this force, upward or downward. In material-minded or primitive man, it continues to be uh, used purely for procreation or sensual gratification. But as man aspires to higher ideals, as he yearns to create men fully and live in the spirit, the force is gradually drawn upward to the creative principles in the brain. This force is called by Easterners the Kundalini and is likened to a serpent or fire lying coiled at the base of the spine. If man steadily purifies his mind and nature through living chastely and moderately, he is able to magnetize the Kundalini serpent upwards through the channel of the spine until finally it reaches the masculine feminine principles of the brain and fires them into coordination. The man is then filled with inspiration and becomes attuned to the inner world of wisdom. This can only be accomplished with the help of the Kundalini serpent. Perhaps Christ gave a hint of this when he said, Be ye wise as serpents. Men and women have therefore the choice as to what they will do with this power within them. Shall they exhaust it in their various self-indulgences of sex um, life, uh, both mental and physical, or shall they use it to become creative in the realms of the spirit and the higher mind or force for good? It is this tremendous choice which every man being has to face, every human being. Rather. Usually they face it unconsciously or in the dark because of the utter helplessness of present-day education in these matters. Hardly one of the many pitfalls surrounding them is properly explained. It is easy to convince ourselves of the fact that it is one of the same force which feeds either the procreative organs or the brain. The gland specialists uh, specialist have brought much to light uh, proving this. They tell us that the penile gland in the head acts as a brake 
also have the evidence of our numberless uh, lunatic asylums. <laughs> People largely with those whose brains have deteriorated through sex obsessions of various kinds. This needs another explanation. Here we have come up against the result of what might be termed spiritual greed. A person who is greedy and self-indulgent on the physical plane will naturally not change his character just because he decides that more benefit will accrue from a pursuit of spiritual assets. It is possible to be greedy for spiritual food, which is as yet undeserved. Very often people attempt to make in a few years the spiritual progress for which they should have been patiently working all their lives. The spirit, the result is that the body has not had time for its vibrations to become purified and raised to a higher tempo, and the brain is still full of the dregs of worldly and impure thought. When therefore, by a forcing process, the Kundalini serpent of fire is prematurely driven up the spine, burning away all dross as it goes, and it arrives within a brain unfitted to receive it, parts of the brain cannot stand this bath of fire and perish with the sudden burning of the dross they still contain, and various forms of derangement ensue. That's phenomenal, isn't it, folks? Many highly dangerous breathing exercises originated in the East are designed with the purpose of arousing the Kundalini. They bring disastrous results when used by ignorant and materially minded people. Sometimes the same issue is achieved when those with mixed uh, motives uh, fling themselves violently into the various religious cults uh, and isms. We hear that their goal turns out to be a mental home. Yet, Another mishap can befall the aspirant who is not sufficiently wholehearted. If he once arouses the servant, the serpent, and then subconsciously repents of his endeavors, the serpent rushes downwards and plunges his owner into the worst orgies and excesses. Unfortunately, this spirit this sometimes happens to saintly men who have been just a little too ambitious for spiritual gains. We have to realize that steady, patient, even, and balanced progress is the surest way. We must not expect to come to results too easily. Greed of the mental or spiritual body will produce a congestion and sickness on those planes as surely as its counterpart will on the physical. To try and attain mental expansion um, while still the victim of inhibitions and repressions is like expecting to become a ballet dancer while still refusing to use certain limbs or muscles. We have so fully to realize that glory is a possible attainment that all lesser desires simply fade out. They do not have to be repressed. It is only in the purity of a one-pointed mind, the root meaning of pure is complete, that we can welcome as one of the greatest events of our life the safe awakening of the Kundalini serpent. The same truth applies in the relation between the sexes, where, again, sincerity of purpose and wholeheartedness are the determining factors of resulting happiness. When a spiritually-minded man and woman fall in love with each other, there occurs a blending and a union between the sevenfold bodies of each of them, accumulating in spiritual as well as physical creation. 
This gives an ecstasy and fulfillment seven times greater than that which the average physical union can bring. Forces and power are, endang- are engendered a hundredfold uh, more on all planes, so having been conserved uh, instead of frittered away. Both the children and all creative work resulting from such a union could be incomparably superior to the average. If every child were brought up with understanding and ambition focused upon such an ideal, we should soon have a heaven on earth. As it is, the subject of sex is so little understood that any irregularities in its manifestation consign the victim to suffering in ignorant and misunderstood wretchedness. The interplay of the masculine, feminine, positive-negative principles throughout our bodies is not yet fully grasped. The ancient wisdom teaches that man, having a positive masculine physical body, has a feminine, negative, etheric body. This may be uh, why he has, in some ways, less stress, staying for less, uh, less oh, sorry, isn't in some way much less staying power in a matter of pain and endurance than women, who owes her um, endurance to the fact that in spite of her negative feminine physical body, she has a positive or male etheric body. Man's astral or emotional body is masculine, and therefore active and under his control, whereas women's astral is negative and absorbing. It is at the mercy of outward influences, and that is why she can be dragged down to lower depths in some ways than a man can. A drunken woman is more terrible than a drunken man. It would seem to follow, then, that man's mental body has a preponderance of the feminine quality and women's of the masculine. And perhaps that explains why, uh, explains why wise men have always considered that women can usually take the lead and inspire them from the mental level if she but realizes it and fits herself to do so. Man is meant to learn sensitivity and intuition from women, and women is meant to learn steadiness and honesty from men. A perfect man or a perfect woman must be complete blending of the qualities of both. That is why we are told that at the end of evolution, there will be no differentiation of the sexes. Meanwhile, the process of this um, integration bring about temporary aberrations which result through misunderstanding in homosexuality and other irregularities. We are taught that men and women change their sex at various incarnations. This change sometimes produces a masculine woman of a feminine man um, until the readjustment is complete. It is necessary that these things are better understood than people, instead of giving away, giving way helplessly to any abnormalities which they discover within themselves and living a life of shamefaced yet devi- defiant indulgence, will learn to master much tendencies and turn them to good account. When we consider that for the greatest and smallest, all progress and evolution depends upon the interplay of the male positive and female negative principles, and how this especially applies to the mental and spiritual creation.
mankind is dedicated to strife, we begin to see how much futile stagnation is caused, and either by people who refuse any relationship with the opposite sex, whether nuns and monks, or by those who indulge in homosexuality. The seven bodies of men and women merge creatively when they work or play together, entirely irrespective of the sexual act. The stimulant and nourish uh, and nourish one another in a way which is essential to the bringing through of creative inspiration. In the temples of ancient wisdom, before their degeneration, the priests worked with their female oracles to achieve their greatest results. When men and women are brought up to be sensitively alive to this interplay of the forces between them, they will, con- they will obtain so much fulfillment from them that the act of procreation will fall back quite naturally to its normal use. Sex antagonism and other inhibitions will disappear. They will be produced the perfect working unit built up of a woman's, of woman's strength and manpower action. It is upon such units that the golden age will be founded. And that's, that's an amazing thing when you start to think about it. And we, when you consider the where the deviant uh, sexual practices come from and why uh, people pursue them, why people indulge in them. I mean, I'm no saint, and, and neither is uh, well, neither most people. And even saints are probably dogging their sexuality somehow. But to me, the, the, the issue of male and female, I mean, I've always been a heterosexual male, so there's, there's never been a, an androgynous thing that, that I can think of. That, you know, I've always been curious as to why, um, if understanding homosexuality, because I've never been homosexual, and, I, and so it's, it's kind of a, uh, a strange deviance for me to, to look at. But I, you know, not that I, I mean, I pity people that, that have that problem. And, you know, now in, this, in the light of same-sex marriages and uh, homosexuality becoming much more prevalent and open, uh, you know, we're seeing much more of it. Um, I don't. I don't know if it's good, bad, or indifferent. Uh, I have I have friends who are openly gay. Um, not close friends, but I mean, I, I, I know them and acquaint acquainted with them and enjoy their company. They're, they're funny people, and um, whenever I'm uh, with them or enjoy the company. But, yeah, they're uh, gregarious and, you know, generous and friendly. Um, not that I'm interested in them in, a, in any way, you know, a sexual way or any, you know, affiliation in that way. One of the oddest, probably, things that I ever saw and documented, and I actually did a documentary on the, the sex industry, Back, uh, back in 2000, I believe it was, yeah. And, uh, you know, I interviewed a few um, porn stars. And, um, did, uh, and, and actually went to a, 
decided to go to one of these uh, odd sex places that uh, indulge many fantasies of torture and uh, other weird things, but you know, dominatrixes and so on. And it was a it was a club of mine, you know, private club. Not really actually a public private club as well. Um, people could join. Um, and uh, I I was uh, introduced to the dominatrix who ran the place and the manager by one of the investors uh, who I was doing this documentary, inspired this documentary by, you know, uh, and it allowed me to uh, interview uh, some famous uh, people, famous porn people and uh, other people that uh, get an insight into the, into the industry, into sex workers. Uh, and into strange indulgences, if you will. Um, I wrote a short story about it uh, after I did the film, and, and uh, um, I guess, uh, you know, it, it, I haven't published it yet. I've been wanting to, but um, it's, uh, it's, it was, it took me some time to write, and it's quite revealing, and it's quite uh, provocative, and it's quite frightening, actually, in some ways, uh, for people to read. But um, it's the truth, you know. And uh, putting myself in that position 15 years ago was kind of an interesting scenario for me <laughs> to do um, and and see. Uh, not that I indulged in any weird practices myself, but to be an observer of them and to uh, interview people who were. Um, and also uh, interviewing and filming people who are into weird body piercings or tattoos, you know, and uh, parlors, and, you know, understanding the, 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 the desire to, for, for uh, self-mutilation. There's just things that, that go beyond uh, the norm. And I, I developed an understanding of these, of these people, of these psychological oddities, that, and, and what they're saying, what this, what Vera uh, Stanley uh, just stated was that there is some short circuit in the circuitry in the electrical circuitry of these of people that that go that way either you know they've been abused as children sexually abused as children or even as adults raped uh, brutalized uh, in some way some many many of these people suffer um, post-traumatic stress or suffer uh, from uh, you know rape or you know other things that have out these uh, these odd desires that they, that they have and try to understand them and if they uh, you know trying to uh, trying to work out these 
tragic in, in so many ways because to be slave to your lust, you know, uh, is, you know, not a great thing. And to be a slave to sex is not a great thing. And it's easy to be a slave to sex because it's such a pleasurable um, uh, uh, experience. I guess what I'm trying to say is, in today's society, that um, the norm, the normal sexual uh, male-female bonding, male-female, you know, um, that it's being destroyed, basically, it's being dismantled, you know, so many things are happening, uh, you know, different methods of sex, different, um, you know, uh, people having sex with machines, for crying out loud, they're having sex with animals, they're having sex with, you know, uh, people uh, themselves, with pools, with, you know, it's like, God, it's just crazy, you know, it's, it's a crazy thing. So, what, what I'm trying to get at, I guess, is that if you look at what this is from a spiritual point of view, try to try to separate your your spirit from your your body. Then, then you can. Then you can. You have a better chance at at, at, at identifying uh, your own uh, indulgences, if you will. Be they, you know, gluttony or you know, sexual, you know, excessive. Or drinking, or drugs, or um, I, I don't know. I mean, there, there's so many ways to, to addict your body, you know, to, and your mind, things. And and unfortunately, uh, not allowing your your spirit to, um, to it, it corrupts your spirit. In other words, it just corrupts your your spiritual. Blinding that third eye, you know, ignoring that third eye, ignoring the, the sights that you see and taking in, uh, just blinding it with a veil. You know. Uh, you know, anyway, this, this, this is this is what we're, we're talking about here, and it's a it's a it's a strange journey for everyone. ourselves and understand ourselves sexually 
sense, women and men being needed because for, you know because you need that connection to them, you know, for to have that normal polarity put together, so you have this a wonderful relationship and a wonderful continual uh, healthy normal. Uh, life, you know, uh, as a male and female, uh, if that can happen, um, then you get your head screwed on right, you know, and, you know, and hopefully uh, there's not a chemical imbalance in your system where, you know, you have far too much estrogen or far too much Consider uh, 
more deeply the phenomenon of man's existence, his birth, his growth, his sleep, and finally his death. It has been said that man is born unfinished. He is born at the ninth month, the finished number between twelve, being twelve. And certain it is that the young of the humans are the most helpless of all. Throughout this chapter, we will study the human being in its fullest sense, that is to say, with his seven interpreting bodies, as before explained. We are told that the birth of a physical body precedes that of other bodies, each one of which is intimately connected with one of the seven principles uh, endocrine glands. We can do no more than touch on this intricate subject here in order to give point to our argument. Up to this age of seven, the average child has only complete control of his physical body, the rest of his faculties being imitative or dormant. In a court of law, a child is not considered punishable until after seven years of age. After the first cycle of seven years, we are told that the etheric body is born or comes under positive control. The ethers govern growth and memory. These are the two functions most prominently active during the next seven years. At the age of 14, the astral or emotional body is said to come into birth. This governs the emotions and desires, so this is the age of puberty and unrestrained emotions. Up for 14 years, up to 14 years, a child has been dominated by the thymus gland, in which uh, was bequeathed a store of red blood corpuscles by the mother. This gland should be uh, should become uh, recessional by the age of puberty. At that time, the child has begun to manufacture its own blood. The blood is known to be the receipt of the ego, which can be uh, can then begin to control the young person who becomes conscious at this time of his individuality. For now, on guidance instead of authority must be the rule. The guidance gland, the adrenal glands, which come into dominance at puberty, help to develop the individual's driving force as well as the brain power. They are said to be the glands of fright and, uh, flight and fright, or rather fight and fright. Under their government, there is extreme sensitivity to fear and anxiety. These tendencies arouse the need for some of religious beliefs to give reassurance. So we find that during these years, there is often great emotional piety. That's true. I mean, that's true. I, I remember as a kid, um, this is one people decide to go into seminaries, you know, you know, when they're 14 or 13. Or that's, the, that's the time that priests like to, uh, uh, you know, uh, this is when they're, they're most sexually attractive to, to, the, to priests um, and to them, then the pedophiles, you know, because then they get them into it because they say, oh, it's good for you, don't worry about it, you know. Um, that's why there's hundreds of thousands of priests that are pedophiles and have, you know, have, have, you know, gotten these poor boys in puberty, you know, to, uh, uh, 
it's, it's really a, a disgusting thing. If you look at it from from what what's happened in the in the perversions of the Catholic religion, okay, the perversions in the Catholic Church, and what uh, abstinence, okay, sexual abstinence does to people who are you know especially who are homosexuals, all right, um, you know it, it warps your brain, makes you crazy, you know, and uh, that's what so many of these people are crazy, you know, especially pedophile priests. And by the way, anybody who reaches the age of 62 or over, kudos to anybody, because uh, you've reached that age of maturity, uh, supposedly. Not everybody matures at that age, believe me. But at least your body is. <laughs> and uh, let, me, let me go over. Uh, Finally, we come to the magic number of seven times seven, and man has reached the age of 49. It is here, therefore, that we can expect the flowering of his greatest power and quality. Excuse me. Sure enough, uh, we are told that it is at this age that his higher mind should come into birth, giving him a subtle capacity for the highest and loftiest achievement. The pituitary body, the penal gland, should now cooperate 
use the sum of his life's experience for new creative ideas, deductions, and philosophies. Therefore, at this age, it would indeed be well if indeed be well if man could retire from all mechanical routine work and concentrate on giving to the world his contribution in the way of schemes for the betterment of mankind and the various inspirations resulting from his experience. As he could still have expectations of life for another 50 years, this would allow him close on half a century of potent uh, fulfillment in living. Such should be the program of the perfected man or woman who has was able to live up to his or her potentialities. Now that it's really interesting, folks, because it was just about that time frame in my life. Um, I think. <laughs> Try to think now. Um, yeah, it's just about. It's just, yeah, it's just about that. Um, when I changed my life around to to uh, pursue the uh, everything that I am now, I mean everything I've wanted to do is is to is to to fulfill this part of me that had to be fulfilled. Speaking and writing and uh, producing programs and uh, you know bringing forth all this information to people that, uh, in, and bringing forth um, these philosophies and, uh, of the esoteric mind and body and soul. Interesting. But at the present time, many people dissipate their energy and strength to such an extent while young that they never reach the flowering of their greatest faculties at all at all. They live and die without ever tasting the ultimate joys and triumphs of human existence. They are never able to feel that they have made any knowledge really their own, and they know anyone's fundamental fact of life, what they are, why they are, or or to what progress or what progressing. They live always like the man who said the only certain thing in life is doubt. They admit their dark ignorance by scoffling, scoffing at the bare possibility of such knowledge, refusing to see that right down the ages there has been a vast accumulation of circumstantial evidence compiled for their own heritage and benefit. They continue to muddle along in interminable, interminable in their stagnant grooves. Such laziness makes man willing to be blind to the fact that his greatest contributions of value to the world can be expected after he is 50. Therefore, he does not husband his mental and his physical strength to that end. He should realize that the inspiration production of the higher mind gives the intense joy of fulfillment than which there is no greater glory. Oh, and that, that is so true, man. That is so true. The fact that many people have half-exhausted wrecks by the age of 50 and others much before that is a disgrace to progress and modern education, and one more proof of the prevailing ignorance is that people are not sensible of this disgrace. When healing the sick 
Christ said, Thy sin is forgiven thee, pointing out very definite, uh, definitely that disease is the outward manifestation of wrong thinking. But we have not yet taken the hint. We are still proud to tell of our diseases, uh, unaware that we are give, giving away the unclean and unkept condition of our mind. In the future, people will feel ashamed of letting down the community by becoming unwell. A man will be as unwilling to admit to having a cold as he is, as he now is to confess to a theft. The present general ill health is responsible for many irregularities in the development of the clan. Some of them do not resist uh, when they should, and so a childish and unmoral state continues in the growth a growing youth. Unbalance of the glands causes some of them to predominate too early to compensate for weakness in others. This produces geniuses who are, for that reason, often prone to epilepsy and other abnormalities. The ancients understood the connection between the glands and the subtle worlds of nature. It will be a happy day when that knowledge is revived by modern science. Let us next consider the common but marvelous phenomenon of sleep. There is a vast accumulation of data proving that the ego or individual can and does leave the body during sleep. The blood recedes from the brain, which can then no longer function. Yet much mental activity may take place together with many uh, authentic experiences of faraway places. A person can during sleep solve intricate problems which have beaten him during the day. He can also tell the time and awaken at any hour decided upon. He can function in a complex world of happenings, which he calls dreams. We are told that if the ego leaves the body, the physical body, during sleep, he does not uh, clothe in his mental and astral bodies, in which he is as mobile as electricity. The physical body is left enveloped in its etheric body or double, that counterpart of the human being formed of condensed ethers, through which the life forces are fed to the tissues from the surrounding ethers. Men's various bodies are, uh, or man's various bodies are linked together by a, vert, a vital elastic cord, operating rather like an electric current to the wire. This cord is a kind of umbilical cord that joins the ego and his vehicles uh, to that part of Mother Earth, which is his physical body. When it snaps, he is born into the afterlife, and he, and we say that he is dead. This cord is referred to in the biblical, uh, in the Bible, as the silver cord. As long as it is intact, the traveling ego is able to get back into his body as surely as a telephone message can travel along the wire. We are told that the only difference between life and death is the sudden, is the uh, sundering of this subtle link which binds a person to his physical body. A strong desire to see a friend may often take the sleeper to see that friend, who may be either awake in his physical body or, at, or himself traveling while asleep in the astral realm. In this way, it is said that many important meetings and actions are rehearsed by the people concerned days before they occur. This would explain why one often has the feeling of knowing just what is going to be said or done. It is possibly in the, in the way that many prophecies are given. 
cultivated assiduously by the priesthood, as was also the ability to interpret the trance. An adept in these matters was held in highest esteem by the nation, whose affairs were regulated according to the instructions or prophecies so given. Joseph of the Old Testament was such a case. Josiah of the Bible was told that false dreamers should be put to death. Um, Alexander the Great spoke of dreams as the greatest chance man had of acquiring knowledge. Martin Luther said that the correct translation of he giveth his beloved sleep is he giveth to his beloved during sleep. And the whole history of the Bible, as well as many other ancient histories, revolves around the importance of visions, prophecies, and dreams. What are they? What are we doing now about this interesting activity that takes up nearly a third of our living uh, uh, hours? The first step would be to um, attain, through concentration and practice, a, clear, a clearer recollection of our dreams. To do this, it is necessary to try to visualize the astral plane as it really is. This is difficult because once we are free in the astral world, conditions are utterly different. Then around us pulsates uh, the living, malleable astral stuff, which is free from the laws of gravitation, and which molds itself at once into forms under the impetus of our minds. If we want a horse, for example, we involuntarily and rapidly build one with our thoughts, and it is only such a horse as our powers of visualization and observation can produce. So we are told that at night the astral realms are peopled with sleepers surrounded by their dreams or creations, which are sometimes ludicrous in the completeness of their conception. Apparently, a person can, therefore, either actually meet his friend in sleep or converse with his own conception of his mind, which he has created. How near he gets to his desire depends on the extent of his concentration and willpower. Another condition of the astral world is that many uh, things can be happening in the same spot without being aware of one another, as it were, the different grades of vibrations or astral stuff flowing through the interpreting without losing their uh, separate identities. In much the same way as we, when in physical bodies, can walk right through a ghost. Here we enter the realm of the fourth dimension. If we have had no personal experience of it, we can only understand it by studying the thousands of descriptions given to us through history by those who had. Um, the jar of returning from those subtler uh, realms into the heavy vibrations of our physical body at the moment of awakening usually shatters the memory of our experience, and we retain at best a jumbled and inconsequent translation of our dreams. This is where the need of training comes in. We should concentrate on exercising a strong grip upon ourselves at the instant of awakening. By this simple expedient, um, we may soon learn consciously to profit by our nightly experiences. Also, before sleeping, we should tune our minds to our highest aspirations, as this will determine the realism we are able to reach. If the mind is clogged with patty, uh, petty earthly considerations such as the price of food or a quarrel with a neighbor, its owner is naturally drawn to the same uh, type of vibration when asleep in the astral world. Let us now consider that what is said to happen when death has snapped the silver cord and the person is finally separated from his physical 
body. We are told that often it may take a little while for the individual to realize that he is dead, but for some time prior to this, he has been building in the astral stuff the kind of heaven or afterlife to which he aspires. Of course, thousands build a heaven with golden streets and angels playing on the harp. These numberless living thought forms uh, cohere by the law of attraction into one great whole so that the conventional heaven is actually there waiting for atonement. Those who expect because of their guilt, hellfire and goblins have created that charming reception for themselves also. The, the, the miser will probably have made for his use a heaven full of nothing but gold pieces. The eastern Pasha will certainly get his paradise of hours, hours um, and the believer, the disbeliever in afterlife will have created for himself a horrible blank abyss. We are told, then, that people remain imprisoned in their self-constructed paradises until they become so weary of the limitations of their own desires that they are gradually freed from them and the mind is able to expand and, ex and aspire to fresh ideals. Eventually, the ego is free to pass through these lower astral realms, known as purgatory, purged finally of petty wishes and conceptions, and enjoy the higher states of paradise to which it has learned to orient itself. We have heard of the third heaven and the seventh heaven uh, without probably giving a thought uh, to those terms. There are apparently vistas of amazing worlds ahead of us, which only open up to our understanding measure as we develop our minds and our aspiration to meet them. We must realize that life on the physical plane is but a fraction of the whole, and that the saga, sage, or yoga of both East and West is endeavoring to train his mind to a state of continued unbroken consciousness throughout walking, sleeping, death, and onward to the next incarnation upon this earth. In this way does a man finally become a god. And I'm going to leave us there um, at that point, and we'll do the next one uh, next week, next chapter. And uh, But I'd like to leave you with this thought uh, tonight, and that's uh, what this lady stated. everything that we, it mirrors this world, because we manifest everything immediately into the, in the fourth dimension, when we die, and no longer have a physical connection, what it is, is we, what we imagine, what we see, what we've learned in this life, we mirror in the next, until finally we, um, we break away from this hole that the, the hole that the, that the third dimension has on us, and realize the power that we have spiritually, and then we either can reincarnate or we move on to a higher dimension, to the fifth dimension, the sixth dimension, the of 
one where our spirit gains greater and greater and greater knowledge and wisdom until eventually we become Christ. We become the, we become the essence of pure, perfect humanity. Right? And rather than having to come back and reincarnate and reincarnate and reincarnate, you know, as a way of learning uh, what we are, respecting our souls, um, I guess we have to beat our souls up. But what, what encouraged me was that I was compelled, I was forced out and compelled by my own reasoning, whatever it was, that in my late 40s I, I moved to create. That's all I could do. I could no longer think of businesses or think of working for somebody anymore or work for, you know, I had to create. I had to create my businesses. I had to create my world. I had to recreate myself. Because it demanded it of me. You know, I demanded it of myself. And the old self was no longer happy. It had failed miserably in so many things. It succeeded too, but it was still very unhappy because I was not fulfilling myself. Now I'm ecstatic every day. I love my days. I, you know, I love people. I love the world. I love myself. I love uh, Lila. You know, I love uh, people. And I love because I'm doing exactly what I want to do. <laughs> that makes any sense. And I'm being compensated for it in so many ways. Uh, maybe not monetarily in the greatest way you can, but definitely in ways that are purely, purely spiritual. Contentment, uh, peace of mind, happiness, joy, bliss, containment of the spirit. I, I don't know. Just being able to express myself in a million ways every day. I do it uh, on my website or radio shows or through my uh, speaking with people on the phone or creating lectures or creating, you know, uh, radio shows, television shows. Uh, and being able to go back to it, like right now I have, you know, over 1,100 shows on uh, an archive on this, uh, on this radio station here. Um, and people are going back to my old shows every day hundreds and hundreds of people going to older programs you know, every day. And uh, it, it's just fun to see that and to have that archived record. I'm grateful to Brock up for, for you know, having that and doing that. It's a remarkable uh, gift to somebody like myself. It's a great tool. And it's a great gift to the people who are seeking this information as well. But that and my website where I over 12, almost 1,300 uh, articles, essays, and, uh, artwork, and postings, videos. I mean, just just a complete uh, collection of my work for the last 10 years. You know, 
unfortunately, I, I wish I had my earlier works, but they were destroyed in fire and uh, tragedy that happened to me in the early mid-90s, but uh, what, I, what I was able to salvage of my artwork and my writing, um, I now have. But, but I just wanted to say before I end the show tonight, and I'm over time now, but um, please stay with me uh, next week as I continue this reading, and uh, please uh, visit my website, lastillshow.org. Um, read some of my work, um, and uh, I hope you enjoy it. Uh, and just know that uh, I'm one of those guys who's happy doing what he's doing. So always be happier. The only thing that makes me happier and could make me happier is doing more of what I'm doing, you know, uh, in a more effective way. And uh, I, I'm, I'm, I'm hoping that by the spring I'll be able to have uh, created a stage stage production of my own, uh, you know, uh, reading and some music and uh, presentation, video presentation. Um, but uh, and I'll have a multimedia presentation for the public uh, live, you know. Uh, so uh, I'll be hopefully doing those uh, live speaking engagements uh, this year. You know, it should be a lot of fun. But anyway, these are things that I'm looking forward to in the future, in the near future, and uh, you can look forward to as well. And I wish you all a pleasant evening and have a nice weekend. And if you happen to be in one of the snow belts, uh, you know, good luck to you. I'm up here expecting another foot or two before the, before the week is over. And uh, not so much fun. But uh, still... Thank you, everybody, for joining me, 